Support for Connecticut East This Week comes from Thames at Mitchell College, a holistic on-campus program that helps high school graduates prepare for college through personal transformation. Go to mitchell.edu slash Thames to learn more. Day Kimball Health, nationally recognized by LeapFrog, Beckers and the American Heart Association. Day Kimball Health, healthcare in motion. Learn more at daykimball.org. And Eastcon, for high school completion, English language instruction and employment and job training services. Go to eastcon.org slash get started today. Eastcon, you've got this. They help companies across the nation with their digital transformation. We talked to Reality Interactive, based in Middletown, on how they're connecting businesses and customers in the digital age. Plus, we take a look at other stories making the headlines from around the region. This is Connecticut East This Week. Hello, I'm Brian Scott-Smith. Everything from cars to washing machines to clothing. In the digital age we live in, these products and the companies that make and sell them to us are undergoing huge digital transformation to make sure they can connect with us through our mobile and smart devices, as well as our laptops and desktop computers. Retail in the 21st century is now very much a science backed by technology to make sure companies can target customers and cut through the noise, but also to give us an experience that they hope will meet we will buy their goods and services. A recent study from International Data Corporation found that large businesses and corporations spend an average of $27.5 million undergoing digital transformation. And here in Middletown, Connecticut, one company is behind some of the many digital transformation products for some very well-known brands. I caught up with Connecticut native Jeremy Brazil, who is the executive creative director of Reality Interactive, for a chat about what digital transformation means not just for business but for us the consumer as well jeremy thanks for joining us oh thank you very much for having me pleasure as i so like lead us into the interview i mentioned the fact that if people have been into stores or touch things they've had interactive displays or maybe they've used something on the phone there's a high probability that reality interactive might have been behind that which is mind-blowing yes that's a very fair assessment we don't think about the companies behind who have to create not only the technology the software the experience yes talk to us about it it's actually really exciting because it's something that we i suppose as a society now we almost expect to be able to touch things and see things and be visually sort of like excited by stuff but we don't as i say we don't give a second thought as to actually how does that happen who's behind it yeah that's very true been in creative development digital development advertising this and that for my entire career and i think creating digital experiences like this is the most rewarding because of its level of impact it's a direct impact to how people approach their day-to-day life, buying products, experiencing information gathering at retail or online. So yeah, it's it's very, very rewarding. And we pay a lot of attention to user behaviors and ensure that every step they're taking is a, as efficient as possible to communicate you know, whatever is needed to be communicated and help people get, get what they need. Just before we get into so like the nitty-gritty of what it is that uh, reality interacts 
Interactive does and why and how it's moving along. Tell me, I did a little bit of cyber stalking because I do that with my guests. And apparently you once were referred to be a bit of a unicorn. However, you say you identify as Mr. Snuffleupagus. So what's all that about? Oh, that's me personally. Yeah, I think that it has to do with my experience and what I've been involved in over my career. I tend to have a little left and right brain thing going on. So it could be I've been flat out told a creative can't be business minded in my career, you know, so it's a bit of a unicorn. But I mean, I, I'm more like Snuffleupagus than a unicorn. I kind of want to be in the shadows sometimes, I guess. But yeah. <laughs> but that said, I mean, before you came here, we'll just very briefly touch upon this. I mean, you've worked for some big brands, Lego, mm-hmm. Coca-Cola. These are not insignificant brands. You had huge jobs with them. Obviously, you've now brought that collective experience and, and knowledge to reality interactive how do you i don't want to say scale it down because you're probably not scaling it down you're probably scaling it up but how do you bring all of that together and then so like and bring it to this type of organization and how does that help well that's a really fantastic question just because you're at a big organization doesn't mean that you don't have the same challenges or, or bigger challenges getting things done and a lot of times an external company such as us can move a lot faster and you know that always appealed to me because those those companies are great. I have a special place in my heart for Lego still as a company and the people that work there. But, you know, it takes, if you have like a really innovative idea, sometimes it takes longer to get it done than a company like this. So I think that's a big part of it. Before we started recording the interview, obviously we we're having a little bit of a chat and talking about what it is that Reality Interactive does and how the pandemic really helped to change and shift the landscape. Why was that? Explain why the pandemics are like really shifted things? Well, shifting is a bit conservative, I think, as, as a term. A lot of us kind of see it as like more of a seismic shift that happened because it was happening anyway, but it was happening at a snail's pace, right? So if you're creating digital experiences for online and retail and things like that, you knew where it was going. We all knew where it was going. So without getting into the details of what it takes to build an experience that sits on a retail device versus building a experience that sits on a laptop or a phone. They're not always the same. You can't just build one for both of those at the same time, right? So scenarios. So companies like us, and especially us, because I know firsthand, we were already looking at that. We were already saying, okay, five years, you know, so in, in 2018 or 2019, we were saying like five years, like we need to be building a solution not only for retail that is also accessible to people's phones. As soon as COVID happened, it changed overnight. Like that actually became very real in that moment. Like people aren't going to be at retail or anything for the next who knows how long these companies and restaurants and and things like that need to still be able to reach those people or it's they're not going to survive and so that really accelerated everything and then the adoption rates so there's really fast forced adoption rate of ordering technology for example if you take that one thing of like your ability to order a product or food to be picked up at your local restaurant once they started opening that alone the adoption rates went through the roof because 
because people had no other choice. And then what happened was, is they're like, wow, I have security in this. Like, I don't have to worry about this. Like, my payment information is safe. Kind of the same thing that happened years ago when people were deciding to start buying things online. All that happened. And then, you know what? People realized it was saving them time. And they've kept doing it because they're using better use of their time, you know, like to do things that that they enjoy more, to spend more time with their families. It's been a huge increase of certain hobbies, right, that happened. So all these things are kind of converging to create this kind of seamless digital experience that needs to happen. Let's talk about certain generations as well, because it, it is a generational thing. You know, generations push certain things forward a little bit quicker. Gen Z, yeah. we were talking about Gen Z, helped to really force the adoption, mm-hmm. then actually had a domino effect on other generations who were like, oh, okay, now I have to do this now sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Talk to us about that, because that's an interesting concept. You, because again, I don't think people would necessarily think that one generation could have that much of an effect on others. Yeah, so that's pretty complex to unpack. But yeah, that's exactly what what's happening. So I think a lot of brands are realizing they've got their demographics a little bit wrong, and younger people are buying their products. And there's a lot of spending within that because a lot of Gen Z are more targeted in their purchases. But the purchases they choose to make, they go all in on. And technology is a part of that because I'm sure people have, are aware of this. I knew I have a 16-year-old daughter, and she's never known a world without an iPhone, let alone a smartphone. So that is massive. So for everyday life, it's their dashboard for life, right? So technology needs to happen in retail that allows for somebody to start their journey wherever they choose. So when they end up at retail, retail's ready for them and they can get in and out of there as fast as possible because their their reason for going is becoming more specific. So once you do that, then it forces other people who might not be as digital savvy or digitally native is a good word for it to then adapt those processes as well. And then they realize it's making their life easier and so forth and so forth. So it's kind of like technology creates the need for more technology in that situation. And then that says in Interestingly, and again, we were talking about this before we started recording the interview. You said, but then, of course, you've got companies who started off online and now they're actually staying online, obviously, but they're mm. also opening up brick and mortar stores. Yes. But they're actually the more clever ones about it because, you know, we think about brick and mortars. Who wants to open up a brick and mortar store? But they understand the process and how the two actually a one. That's true. Yeah. So they're very much about building loyal consumer bases and their their loyalty programs or CRMs that we call it <laughs> in the digital world, ensuring all their experiences and all their channels tie into that, right? Taking this more one single channel approach. I wouldn't say that they're more clever about it. Of course they are, but it's a little bit maybe unfair to like some of the retailers or brick and mortar retailers that have been around for a while. It's just that those have generally been in some of these companies, separate marketing teams, right? You have maybe an e-com marketing team and then you have a retail marketing team. The companies that started online tend to have one marketing team. So they're just approaching it as, okay, here's uh, the 
retail branch of our marketing team and they're viewing it's really their view of their consumers it's not a tug of war between two different marketing teams to hit certain marketing budgets it's one marketing you know marketing sales goal in one consumer really are you seeing that happen with some of the more legacy businesses as they actually suddenly you know the penny drops the light bulb goes on as it were and it's like yeah why are we doing these two things when actually they are one i would hope that that's what's happening without having you know visibility in every brand everywhere it's like how they're organizing their marketing teams it's hard to say they're gonna eventually in my opinion my humble opinion just one person maybe they're gonna eventually have to do that if they haven't already and they're not starting to think that way some of these companies are massive and they have massive infrastructure teams like sounds simple but it's it's pretty big change what's interesting as well again while we were talking before we came and started doing the recording is you were saying you know we're never going to see the end of brick and mortar stores and that's something i think that people do concern themselves a bit now of course naturally some of them are going to drop off because that's that's just life but you know to the point we've just been saying you know you've got online retailers deciding yeah actually we can open up some some brick and mortar as well i mean it certainly doesn't mean that you know the malls of america are going to be saved over this we still want to to feel and touch things don't we it doesn't matter it seems what generation we are it's great to start that journey Mm -hmm. but we then want to actually have an experience don't we yes a hundred percent so there's been fear around like the demise of brick and mortar for a long time i mean ever since you know amazon came along or or e-com in general uh, even before that there's been talk of that and i remember having some overlap with brand retail when i was at the lego group and those types of things were being talked about like how do you make your brick and mortar more destination worthy more experiential that hasn't changed and that's the discussion we're going through now except that you it's becoming more important that there's more digital that's drawing people in because the reasons for going to retail are going to be very, very specific. It might just be to get out of the house, you know? It might be just more related to, like, these escapist moments and then how digital ties into that to make it feel like, okay, this is really cool. Like, it's really nice to go to this store and, you know, maybe there's big video walls and and there's content playing and you can engage with those and, and you can find something more tactile to a product that you're not going to get online that you know those are the types of things that are going to draw people in and digital is going to be a big part of that the other thing that we're seeing is and i don't want this to come off wrong but we're seeing a less knowledgeable sales associate and it has nothing to do with them having knowledge it has to do with them having knowledge of a bunch of different products across multiple brands that are more complex that type of stuff you know so digital needs to help sort that It needs to help the customer or the consumer who's coming in find something a lot quicker and get the information they need that's just for them and guide them through this purchase journey faster. And then it needs the sales associates to be able to get that information just as fast. And then they marry up at some point. Which is not necessarily a bad thing because, and no disrespect to any sales associate listening to this, sometimes they're busy and, of course, you walk into a store and you can't get the attention of a sales associate straight away. And this is even pre-pandemic. So the fact is, if you can go into a store start you know interacting with some technology and then as you say f- 
finish that journey with the sales associate, that's good use of your time. Yeah, and then you're getting into more CX side of it too, where the information around that consumer is traveling with them. So once they step through the threshold of that door, right? So they can be met in more of a curated way, which is super powerful. Like like the brands that are willing to go that far with it, they're like, oh, hey, so-and-so, we've been waiting for you. And then they pick up that conversation right where that person left off when you know they, they started online or whatever. We're creating products that do that right now where you can, for example, customize your perfect spa and then see it in AR, right where you're going to keep it in your backyard or wherever it is. And then when you go into that spa dealer, they you've already started talking to them and, and they're going to show you what the surface of that spa really looks like and feels like and what the color looks like. So, so you're bridging that gap that gets lost or left unfilled by digital. Let's talk a little bit about AI. It's a huge, I mean, we could do an entire podcast and series of podcasts just on AI, but how does AI feed into this as well? Because it does, of course. And, yeah. and of course, we all forget that AI has been around for a hell of a long time and sure we get has. terribly scared by all this media so like concern about AI. But talk to us specifically in your arena. How does AI help out with you and what it is that you guys are doing? Once again, everything is about helping the product or purchase journey become faster, right? So AI helps with that. AI helps with product recommendations. It helps being more predictive because, and as, as you said, it's been around for a while, but really what it is is the technology has advanced so quickly that so much information can be processed in, in a millisecond to provide a recommendation and building that into retail solutions or, or digital solutions in general is, is powerful. And it's exactly what it is. It's just helping somebody get what they need to get done faster. I think the concerns come from misinformation and not necessarily misinformation about what AI is, but the worry that the wrong information is going to be provided, right? Or that people are going to be able to cheat on something. But when, you know, things like that. But in relation to what we do, it's strictly about when the digital is looking at that consumer, this is what you're looking for. We hear you. We want to help you. And here's your recommendation as fast as possible. Do you think as well as as it gets smarter, we'll stop getting those adverts after we've actually purchased something on like our social media <laughs> For something we've actually just purchased as well because that's always annoying it's like oh i've just purchased this and then you go on your social channels and all of a sudden there it is and it's like but i've just purchased that why doesn't it understand yeah well i'm not nostradamus but i'm willing to bet no that's probably gonna continue because that's not necessarily the fault of the ai is the fault of the marketer right so who knows you know, maybe, but it's always going to be tracking your behaviors online. And then that's how it's going to provide the recommendation to what ads you're going to see or, or you're not going to see. So maybe, but I'm not, I wouldn't count on it. I'm sure you're probably going to still get ads because you could always buy two of one thing, right? This is very true. You could, you couldn't, you know, weigh them up. Of course, there's, there's yeah. never, that's never a bad thing. So let me put this to you then. And we'll go back to, you've just mentioned him, Nostradamus. We said at the very opening of this, you know, five Five years where you thought the industry was going to be and mm-hmm. of course the pandemic shifted that along we're not looking for another pandemic clearly but mm-hmm. five years from now where do you see because it's just raced along you've explained that to us that it's completely raced along because of what happened so what do you see happening because it's, it's clearly helped to push the 
this industry and retailers very, very quickly. Yeah, so I see it continuing along the path that it's going. I think what's going to happen is kind of a rethinking of what retail can be for those individual brands and companies, right? So they're going to have to redefine what their brick and mortar. Personally, I would like to see terms like brick and mortar just go away. And it's not that I don't think that established retail is important and and people want it. I think it's just going to be transformed into something that is more targeted for what it needs to be. And we're going to continue on those journeys. So you might see things more about the brand story of a company, you know, their brand identity more. There's already companies like that are doing that really, really well where you're going in and it's almost like a museum history piece on like why that product is special and the effort that goes into creating it and why it's important. So I think we're going to continue to see stuff like that, like this more, I mentioned it earlier, but escapist approach to retail. There is going to be a push to to be ensuring that any digital in-store ties closely into person's device, their own personal device, you know, and those work seamlessly together. But I don't see that replacing digital at retail, right? So I think that the digital at retail is still going to need to be really, really effective and a part of the experience. So you think they're just going to build on that whole loyalty factor with education saying, hey, this is who we are. This is the history of our company. And this is why we're such a, a good company for you to consider, you know, purchasing our products. And oh, yeah. oh, by the way, we've got this, you know, great digital experience for you as well. Yeah, because the one thing about consumers now is they have tremendous brand amnesia, right? So they need to, brands are going to constantly need to remind people of why they're special because there's been a transition from what a, what a brand means to, to people. So if a brand can't establish itself as part of an individual person's identity, like something to say like, hey, I'm a fan of this brand because it's part of who I am, that brand's going to be lost, right? So they're going to constantly have to remind people. Can't take take consumers for granted anymore. So any of their retail establishments are probably going to be key in, in making that happen, I, I would guess. Yeah. Well, it's been interesting and fascinating talking to you because like I said, it's those things that we just don't think about, um, you know, the behind the scenes stuff, but it is so important and clearly very complex as to how yeah. all of this is put together. And it's going to be interesting to see, you know, the next four, five, six years down the road. So we will certainly come back to you, Jeremy, and see if what actually does happen over time. But as I say, it's been absolutely fascinating. And also it'll be interesting to see how the retailers continue to deal with this ever evolving landscape, obviously guided and assisted by companies like Reality Interactive. And uh, thanks ever so much for joining us on the podcast. Oh, it's been a pleasure and looking forward to talking to you again. So thank you. If you want to find out more about the work and services of Reality Interactive, then head over to their website at realityi, that's R-E-A-L-I-T-I dot com. Connecticut East this week is made possible by EastCon. Know someone who wants to learn English? Enroll today in one of EastCon's free English language learner programs offered virtually and in person. Learn English to get a better job, to access training or college, to help your children with school or to prepare for U.S. citizenship. Succeed from registration to graduation with flexible classes that suit your busy lifestyle. Visit eastcon.org slash get started today and take your first step towards a brighter future. EastCon, you've got this. 
and Thames at Mitchell College, a college transition programme on Mitchell's waterfront campus in New London. Mitchell offers a culture of radical possibilities where students with learning or processing differences can thrive, easing into college with supportive faculty and a strong social network. Within this tight-knit living and learning community, Thames students build executive functioning skills, earn college credit, learn strategies for independence and experience transformative growth. Learn more at mitchell.edu. And it's time for the quiet corner to make some noise. Some Day Kimball Health noise. Largest employer in our region kind of noise. Day Kimball Health serves more than 125,000 people, offers cardiology, orthopedics, and oncology specialties. It's having the region's only comprehensive and accredited breast center kind of noise. We are nationally recognized by LeapFrog, Beckers, and the American Heart Association. Day Kimball Health. Healthcare in motion. Time now for a look at other stories making the headlines this week. Connecticut Senator Richard Blumenthal, who chairs the Senate Permanent Subcommittee on Investigations, has released documents recently from the U.S. Coast Guard relating to a 2018 report called Operation Fouled Anchor that looked into the mishandling of sexual assault in the Coast Guard over a number of years. Blumenthal says the redacted documents they have received are troubling and raise new questions about the report that was covered up. This document also reflects the reason that the decision was made not to disclose, in other words, to withhold information from the public and from Congress. It was, in fact, that disclosure will risk the initiation of comprehensive congressional investigations, hearing, and media interests. Blumenthal said the subcommittee will be seeking to obtain unredacted versions of the documents and, if necessary, will issue subpoenas against the Coast Guard if they fail to cooperate, as well as formally identifying handwriting on the documents they've received as that of a former vice commandant of the Coast Guard. To confirm that this handwriting is that of Admiral Charles Ray, vice commandant of the Coast Guard, but also who was involved in making this list of pros and cons in favor of disclosure and against it, who was aware of this purposeful strategy to deceive the public and Congress, Blumenthal said a separate investigation into the buried report has also been launched by the Office of the Inspector General and says he cannot rule out the possibility of criminal prosecutions once all investigations are completed. Connecticut East this week reached out to the Coast Guard for comment on the documents and the Admiral's handwriting but received no response to our inquiry. The city of New London has placed a lien on the former first congregational church that collapsed in the downtown area in late January. The steeple of the church crashed through the main building, resulting in the entire church having to be demolished. Mike Passero is the mayor of New London and said with demolition bills unpaid by the church, the city has had to take action. Under the law, we only have a certain amount of time to place a lien on the property, 30 days, a very short window. So we explained to them that our intention was, once we got the bills, to share them with the church, but at the same time, we were going to file the lien just, you know, as a matter of course. So it's not an aggressive or hostile move, just need to protect the taxpayer's interest. The cost to demolish the church and make the area safe has amounted to just under $250,000. Passeray said when the church collapsed, they had no option 
but to act. We acted under our public safety emergency powers to hire the demolition crew, to hire the environmental testing, and all of the public safety response units in the city. That was all due to the public emergency, and we were very fortunate. Dealing with a public emergency that was strictly a collapsed building, there was nobody inside the building at the time of the collapse, then it would have been a mass casualty. Pastor James Levesque of Engaging Heaven, who owned the church, had said they intended to repay the city, but so far no money has been forthcoming and the church has instructed lawyers to act on their behalf, citing a dispute with an insurance company over a church policy that apparently lapsed. Final public hearings concluded recently for Connecticut ratepayers to comment on two proposed rate increases for gas utilities in the state. Edwin J. Vieira of the Connecticut News Service has this report. Connecticut Natural Gas and Southern Connecticut Natural Gas filed for rate increases in 2023. CNG wants to boost company revenues by $20 million with a one-year rate plan beginning November 1st. SCG is looking for something similar to raise revenues by $41 million. John Erlinghauser with AARP Connecticut says if these are approved, customers would be hit beyond their gas use. Connecticut Natural Gas wants to raise their customer service charge from $18 to $21.25. Southern Connecticut Gas wants to go from $15.64 to $21.25. And we find that to be outrageous, particularly because they'll be paying that increase before they even turn on the heater. He notes this affects conservation efforts as well, since people are going to pay more before using their appliances. Even state officials aren't happy about the proposed increase. In a statement, Attorney General William Tong said they'd be too much for families to pay. Comments can also be filed on the Public Utilities Regulatory Authority's online filing system or by emailing pura.executivesecretary at ct.gov. I'm Edwin J. Vieira. And components for the final wind turbine for New York's South Fork Wind Project have left New London's State Pier recently. A barge carrying three blades, tower sections and a nacelle headed 35 miles east of Montauk Point to complete the 12-turbine offshore wind farm. South Fork Wind has been delivering power to Long Island's power grid since December of 2023. The 132-megawatt project developed in partnership with Danish energy company Orsted and New England energy company Eversource will provide provide enough renewable energy to power 70,000 homes. Components for Connecticut's first offshore wind farm, Revolution Wind, are expected to arrive at State Pier in New London starting in spring, although Revolution Wind is currently the subject of two lawsuits filed by two Rhode Island heritage organizations who say the Bureau of Ocean Energy Management, or BOEM, ignored the National Historic Preservation Act and National Environmental Policy Act when they awarded leases to Orsted and Eversource to build the wind farms. That's all from us for this edition. Do send us your questions and story ideas to the show via our website at Connecticut-East.com or Facebook or Twitter at Connecticut East and on Instagram at Connecticut East this week. And you can listen to the show again on our social platforms on demand and by asking your smart speaker to play Connecticut East this week podcast. And please like, follow and share on your social media too. I'm Brian Scott-Smith. Thank you for listening. 